Welcome to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere with your host, Chris Parker. And welcome back to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere. This is Chris Parker, and I have an extraordinary guest, Tony Saldana, coming in from the U.S., uh, Cincinnati. And um, we're going to talk probably about some of his you know, initiatives that he's working on. But I first heard about Tony in the Open EXO community of exponential thinkers and doers. And he has written a, a remarkable book from his experience about why digital transformations fail, uh, which I have right here. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get into some parts of that. And, I'm, and I'm, we'll ask him why do they fe- fail. So that's coming up. But before we get there, Tony, would you, um, you know, welcome and could you please share with everyone, Tony, what is it that you do and why do you do what you do? Well, thank you, firstly, uh, Chris. This is, this is a distinct pleasure. Um, glad to be here. Um, so what do I do? Um, well, I'm, I'm one of those corporate types, I guess, or, or I has been corporate type, uh, to be more accurate. I, I spent uh, 27 years. I was vice president of uh, IT and global business services at Procter & Gamble, and then uh, a few years before that. And, and um, I had uh, the privilege of essentially um, almost growing up with the IT industry, uh, initially, you know, in, in, in India, and then uh, I set up the first ever uh, offshore shared services center in the Philippines in 93, and uh, then was associated with the entire outsourcing wave uh, when uh, I uh, was program leader to outsource um, two-thirds of IT and, and global business services for Procter & Gamble out of Cincinnati, Ohio. This is the PNG headquarters here. Uh, which is a 10-year, $8 billion deal and basically just triggered the industry into that entire wave. And then some more operational type work where I, um, uh, again, ran IT and, and GBS, Global Business Services, in every region of the world for PNG. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively large uh, operation at PNG, about $2.5 billion. Um, and then I left PNG about two years ago because I, I always wanted to do this. And what this is, is... Um, uh, essentially, a combination of, uh, you know, advisory and consulting on GBS, Global Business Services, and, and digital transformation for uh, about 20 of the Fortune 100 companies. Uh, but then also dabbling with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I have a couple of AI and blockchain companies. I, I have the privilege of working with, you know, many, many startups. Um, I, I'm constantly, you know, trying to learn and, and, and do different kind of things. And, and, you know, the community that you referred to, the open EXO and, you know, this, this is, this is a vibrant community that gives me great, you know, pleasure to deal with because I'm always learning. You know, you, you guys are always teaching me new stuff. So again, thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Great, Tony. Yeah, thank you for that. And can you go a bit deeper and and why? So, what motivates you? You've been in the industry, pushing the industry, transforming, you know, the global organizations, and pushing that needle for you know, you said I think over over twenty years, you know, more. Why? What what is, what is it that's driving you that gets you up in the morning and 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 moving so far and so fast? I um. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> it's, it's a great question. I, I, I think not just um, me, but, you know, my, my wife was, you know, um, now 29 years and, and kids um, and friends, you know, constantly ask me that. And, and the closest that I've come 
to answering that question is that um, I believe I'm, I'm a learner. Um, you know, I, I, I know I talked about the work that I do as, you know, uh, working with other companies and stuff like that. But for me, every interaction is an opportunity to learn. Right? Uh, I'm an engineer at heart. I love problem solving. Uh, it doesn't matter whether the problem is digital transformation or my uh, coronavirus uh, project for the summer has been, you know, ex extreme remodeling of our uh, garage. Uh, uh, everything from, you know, complete redo of, of, you know, get it down to bare bones and, and, and do everything with my own hands. And I've never done anything like this, but it was a great learning opportunity. Uh, uh, that's, I guess, the closest I've come to psychoanalyzing myself. Learning. Great. And, and through that, that learning, is, is there, I'm just curious, do you just learn by doing or, or are you also an avid reader or course taker or is it just like when you did your, your, your garage, I, I ended up redoing my garage a bit and turned it into a bit of a gym, not, not as an extreme makeover, but is that something that you just pulled out a hammer and went at it or, or was there research and, and, and engineering, you know, modeling and, and design first? It, it, it is, it is that I, I, I um, uh, there's a part of me that's a, that's a researcher. Um, uh, even on things like digital transformation, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an IT professional. I mean, you know, quite literally, you know, every second that passes, your knowledge is outdated. And so I force myself into habit, you know, like read at least about five uh, articles every night before uh, falling asleep. On, and it could just be articles, you know, on magazines or online or, you know, whichever it is. Uh, and that's the same way I approach any problem. Um, so if I'm working with a client, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to study them up, try to understand what makes them tick, uh, in addition to, you know, whatever they share. And the garage was the same way. I mean, you know, I just had this very, very vague vision of, I got to just, you know, do this totally differently and, and spend the summer doing it. And uh, it was, you know, take one topic at a time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what if we had epoxy floor, you know, could I do that myself? You know, what if I had to just, you know, redo the entire drywall? Um, you know, how would I go about doing that? You know, so on and so forth. So, um, that's yeah. my approach. I love that kind of work because it's, it's, it's so, I don't know, just hands-on compared to the, the, the very mental work that I oftentimes do or, or yes. Yes. human interaction work. And, and, as a, and as a devout introvert, that can take a, quite a toll on my energy. Um, and so, so going off and just fixing something physical um, can be a joy. When Corona first hit with my two boys, we ended up going, picking up trash. We, we got these trash grabbers and just went and cleaned up the forest. And then we started in, running out of trash. So, but let's leave trash behind and go back to digital transformations. And, and the, um, um, the question I'd love to ask, and you've written a whole book about it that, that we're going to dive into uh, hopefully a little bit is why do digital transformations fail? You know, at the time of the book, you, you know, there was only 30% succeeded. And I think now it's actually gone down based on, on most recent metrics. So why are we so bad at this? It's, um, uh, so I like to joke about it, but um, uh, I, I blame Alice in Wonderland uh, for this. Uh, and just, just kind of explain that. Um, uh, you, you, you remember, I apologize for the phone ringing here, but I mean, you know, you remember the, um, uh, 
the episode in uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, with the Cheshire Cat, where Alice says, you know, which way should I go? The cat says, oh, it depends. Where do you want to get to? Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, Alice like, don't care. And the cat says, okay, fine. doesn't matter which way you go. Um, I'm, I'm only joking slightly, but, you know, the conversations that happen around digital transformation are not too far different from there. You know, um, uh, among a lot of the research that went into the book, uh, about five years ago, I met with 100 different executives, you know, large companies, small companies, startups, so on and so forth. And, and among other questions, one of the questions was, what does digital transformation mean? And, you know, you have a spectrum of everything from, hey, it's not new. We had digital watches many years ago, all the way through, you know, Elon Musk type, you know, robots that are coming for us. So, um, so and, and everything in between. So, you know, the, the first rule of hitting any goal is you have to be able to define what success looks like. Uh, so that's one reason it fails, because people are not clear about expectations. Um, um, and, and that's part of what I do in the book, which is, you know, rather than trying to create a definition that's completely new, I try and put things in a spectrum of five stages to say, digital transformation can go all the way from pure, you know, digitization, which is, you know, go from mechanical to digital, all the way through, you change the DNA of the enterprise and the people in the process, which is stage five. Um, so what I'm giving people is, is a, is a way of essentially getting more precise on the language. There is a second reason why um, digital transformations fail, which is that um, the evolution of the language has brought along with us uh, not an evolution of the execution methodology. So execution methodology for digital transformation is still based on IT project management, which is fine if you're trying to do IT projects, but real digital transformation is rewiring uh, the DNA of people, rewiring business models, rewiring products. And that involves, uh, especially in the context of industrial revolutions, um, you know, not just tactical IT, but organization change management. And it involves, uh, you know, upstream innovation, which require different methodologies than regular project management. And so uh, the common thread across both of those, the language and the the lack of precision in, in defining digital transformation and the execution methodology is what I call discipline, right? You have to be extremely disciplined. This is another hobby of mine, which is airlines, um, you know, just like the airline industry was disciplined in eliminating defects and now it's become a byword in reliability. I think this industry has to be much more disciplined about both language as well as execution methodology to, to, to make a dent in the failure rates, yeah. In the book, you mentioned discipline and, and you even used the word rigorous, I think, before the word discipline. So rigorous discipline. And um, I'm, I'm going to be a bit, um, I guess, skeptical here that oftentimes the organizations that have the healthiest margins are the least rigorous in their discipline. And oftentimes our, you know, the Cheshire cat effect is basically corporate politics and hobbyism and cronyism. Yeah. Um, and I try to say that without judgment because that, you know, that, that is the reality that they've made for themselves. And they have these, you know, extremely successful organizations that enable that. Yeah. Um, when I was the, the CIO for, for lease plan, you know, group back in, you know, through 2011, that is one of the reasons that got me really kicked off on the customer experience sort of 
wave that we did. We literally did an inventory of all the corporate projects and a lot of the large local projects over 30 countries. And we could find a very light, if any, direct correlation back to what was stated as the sort of the strategic thrusts. Um, and, and certainly not really anything that was truly creating value for the customer. There were some lean projects and things like that, removing waste, but not really value creating. Um, so if you're working in a, in, a, in a nice margin organization, how do you impose, self-impose rigorous discipline on yourself? That, that must be a mindset or, or some sort of magic trick. <laughs> um. Well, you know, I, I actually firstly to kind of analyze the situation before I, I get to the answer of how do you go about doing it. Um, you're right. I mean, uh, there's nothing like a burning platform to drive change. And, you know, most successful companies um, are successful because there's something in either their business model or the industry or, you know, regulations that is protecting them and, and keeping them, uh, you know, happy. Um, and uh, so it's completely understandable, right? Um, but you know, how do you shake them out of their complacence? Um, you know, the answer to that is, you know, it's before the, the, the recording, you and I were talking about uh, Singularity University and, and, and you know, the, the, the mind-blowing um, realization that the world is being disrupted, changing around us. Uh, that's the answer. You know, that's a lot of what I do, um, which is, um, you know, I talk about the fact that we are in the midst of an industrial revolution, right? The fourth industrial revolution. And unlike the previous three industrial revolutions, this one is, you know, different um, because it is much, much more disruptive. The first three, you know, steam engines, electricity, and then, of course, um, the internet, um, they were individual technologies. Digital technology, the fourth industrial revolution is one that is simultaneously eating social technology, mechanical technology, medical technology, every other technology, right? Um, so it's really, really violent, if you will. Um, and so what I do is, is basically just help leaders understand that, look, the strategies that you use during normal, non-industrial revolution times are, are very simple. These, these are the Harvard MBA you run your business and you do continuous improvement, you know, 5%, 10% improve every year. Yeah? Um, but during industrial revolution times, you need a third strategy, which is you have to disrupt yourself or somebody else will disrupt you because no amount of continuous improvement on the, you know, horse carriage during the second industrial revolution would have taken you to a, an internal combustion engine, right? So where is that third element? And, you know, where is the sense of urgency to do something different? Um, so, you know, that's, that's our attempt. You know, some organizations, of course, are um, receptive to that. Others believe that their business model or the situations are not urgent enough, and that's their prerogative. But I think that mindset of we're in the midst of an industrial revolution, you're going to have to do something different. That's the answer. And um, I, I guess that, that is... The, the people have to be somewhat, I guess, enlightened to be aware of that in order to call you in, you know, because so, there, there needs to be an awareness of, 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 of a problem or an opportunity um, to call you in. What are your, your typical customers? Meaning, meaning when the phone rings and they say, hi, this is so-and-so, you know, I'm the president of so whatever, or, or who, who, who calls you with that 
you know, Houston, we have a problem type message and uh, help us out. It's actually funny because, um, you know, more often than not, it's, it's, it's not like somebody calls with a problem. I mean, there, there's some of them, don't get me wrong. But more often than not, you know, it can be a, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do a strategy meeting on site. You know, can you come and talk to our leadership team about what's happening in the world? Hmm. Or, um, you know, we're launching something, you know, would you mind coming talking to us? Uh, or, you know, something's not working in, in our organization model, you know, we want to try and do something different, right? Um, so it's actually funny because more often than not, um, people may or may not even realize that there is a uh, disrupted problem, right? Hmm. Um, but then as we kind of get into example after example, and, and then, you know, the more penetrating questions that I ask around, what business are you in, you know, and, and what business do you hope to be in, you know, five years down the line, uh, people start to realize that, okay, there may be a, an element of disruption that they need to be aware of. Um, so that's, that's, that's more like, but, you know, the profile of the people that call in, um, uh, some of them are indeed business unit presidents. Um, uh, there's a large number of them that are either CIOs or shared services, uh, GBS, global business services type leaders in large companies. Um, although I do work with, um, some really, really small businesses as well. I, I, I work with the, uh, with a company in, in Texas who's the, um, importer and distributor of, um, chips and other products from Latin America in, you know, a couple of cities in Texas. And so it's a small distribution business. And, but I give the, uh, give, give the owner a lot of credit because he's already thinking about, well, wait a minute, you know, how do I just stop myself, right? Because distribution is, is a intensely physical, hmm. low margin, you know, high number of people manual business. And I want to do this differently. Yeah. Again, th there needs to be some sort of self-awareness or trigger or, or, or something. And, and for me, um, I know that maybe sound, uh, but, but going to singularity, the executive program, I think it was a long week at the NASA Ames research center in California in 2011. I sat in one of the, I think it was the first edition. Um, I think it was based on the Lotus chassis, the first edition Google car and you know, being responsible for technology for, you know, global mobility. It was like, um, okay, the, you know, the future is not as we would expect it. And literally when I, when I came back to the head office, uh, I, I, I got zero, zero response or, even, you know, not even a blink of acknowledgement of, of the, you know, the story. So, um, you know, as to, you know, I think w within 12 months I was off doing other adventures and, and doing different things. The, um, re related to digitization and disrupting yourself, when when uh, Mike Mingle from from the OpenEXO community uh, had you know had a conversation with him recently, um, if we're lucky, we'll we'll publish those um, together, um, at least on the on the same week or the same day. Um, he mentioned a story that I that is uh, that I had known from the book, but I think it's chapter seventeen about next generation services and how you, you know, and quite frankly, anyone who hasn't got this book yet, that chapter alone is so inspirational and so mind blowing as far as a new approach of innovation that it, that that in itself is worth it, and, and I would argue is worthy of a full book on its own. Um, but basically, pursuing ten x opportunities or greater only, and using a very 
an ecosystem approach to achieve. So how did, how did you come up with that? The, just the whole thing is like brilliant, if I can say so. And, and, and uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that story? Chapter 13, sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I, um, so a little bit of context, um, you know, for most of your listeners. So shared services of global business services is, is basically a, a very boring business where you take transactional work in, in mostly large companies, right? So accounting, IT, payroll, and so on and so forth. And then you ask yourself, can you share it across business units or countries and therefore drive productivity, scale, you know, you go offshore, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And so the context here is, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble, again, you know, I've been extremely fortunate, um, has been a leader in this space for a very, very long time. Um, and um, so, you know, five years ago, we were still considered to be a leader, even now, uh, considered to be a leader in this space. But then, you know, you always have opportunity to do better, right? Um, and, and you're constantly asking yourself, well, wait a minute, you know, this, you know, let's not get carried away with all of the accolades. Um, we, we have more than enough problems that need to be solved. Uh, but then as you look at the strategies, you know, what if you've done offshore? What you've done outsourced? You know, what if you've got a common SAP wall to wall platform across the world, which we did, stuff like that. What next, right? And so that's really what got me into this, what's next? And, you know, talking to a hundred different executives that I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and the answer, you know, hit me squarely in the face immediately, which is the real competition, if, if you could call an internal department as having competition somewhere, um, is, is actually not the shared services of another peer competitor like Unilever to PNG or, you know, L'Oreal to PNG. It is basically the startup, right? The internal business operations of the startup. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so among uh, many startups that I talked to, one of them was uh, no longer a startup, but Atlassian, which, you know, so an Australian mm. company that does Jira yeah. and other software. And I was talking to somebody, you know, connected with them and asking them, well, wait a minute, you know, do you guys, have you considered things like shared services? And they said, what exactly is that? Right? So, um, and then I got deeper and said, hey, you know, uh, so payroll and stuff like that, HR, right? Human resources, who does that? And they said, what's the HR function? And I was like, okay, fine. Now you've got locations in 10 countries, right? So how many HR people do you have? And I was expecting, you know, a large answer. And they said, um, um, about 25 um, across 10 countries, um, which basically floored me because, you know, for a company that size, and then uh, they, they actually mistook my uh, surprise uh, and they got defensive because they thought it was too many people. They said, well, you've got to keep in mind that we double headcount every, every, you know, literally every year. And so half of this work is just recruiting. And by that time, you know, I, I was ready to give up. Um, and so the insight there was that the internal business operations of startups and small companies is actually twice as cost-effective and 10 times more agile than even the best class in large companies. And so, you know, at some point in time, you can say, okay, the next generation of tech services is continuous improvement, or you could basically say the next generation is completely disruptive. It's got to be 10x, you know, you cannot go you know, improve the con internal combustion engine, you know, to your transportation, uh, uh, you know, background, you have to completely rethink the chassis of a car, right? And so that's what led us to, to say, 
we're going to create an ecosystem, not just for Procter & Gamble, for the, but for the industry, because this just doesn't exist. So I have to do this for the industry. And so we brought together um, the, you know, some of the largest um, services companies, IBM, HP, Tata, so on and so forth. And then the ecosystem of um, uh, the venture capitalists, some of the biggest in the world. And the model was very, very simple. You know, it was like, okay, I at Procter & Gamble, I'm going to define, you know, some of the areas where I think there is most friction and most money, you know, most people, most cost. And then I'm going to throw these problems out to this ecosystem in a structured manner, again, using disciplined processes. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm going to look for is, you know, competition, open market here using PNG data and, and issues as a playground. And I will pick up any project that is at least a $50 million prize, and it's got to be 10x or 10 times better than what exists in the industry today. And you know, we'll have a small portfolio of those. If you're successful, I will actually give you the intellectual property because PNG is not a software business, so I have no rights or no interest, rather, uh, in the IP. And so it was win-win for everybody. It was a big win for startups who are like, oh my God, I get to work with a real customer, a real company. It was a win for these business services, you know, business operations companies like the IBMs and others, which is, oh my God, I actually get to create 10x disruptive product. And of course, it was a win for PNG. So, so that's, that's it. I mean, I, again, not a very complicated model, but, you know, one that I think with a little bit of creativity, I'm sure anybody could have come up with. Yeah. Well, sounds like a lot of creativity. And uh, again, it's, um, you know, chapter 13 of the book, I recommend it to anyone. Um, as well as the rest, uh, I guess you had to, well, I guess you, you already mentioned that you had optimized a lot of the other things. So you had already earned the, the credits, I think, to have that discussion with the executives and, and allow them to take that sort of experimental risk in the beginning. How, how did it go getting, getting the first initiative going or getting that first team moving because I think once you once you've had a success or two, and and the, this new way of working has some, also, you know, de-risked itself in the perception of others. How did you um, get started? Yeah. Now, I, I, the, the first is, is is again going back to your earlier question of you know how do you uh, do the awake uh, session, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and and again, the answer was was similar to your experience and mine, which is you basically take them to. To uh, Singularity University and you know uh, Silicon Valley, and and you start to realize that the future here is more imminent than you thought it was, and and the future doesn't have to be physical products. The future can be the future of you know travel and expense reporting because you know you could have the world's best offshore operation that looks at every expense report that's generated in the company and compares it with receipts and you know. There's electronic banking and all that kind of stuff. And then you, you know, go visit a Google or an Adobe and you see there is no travel and expense systems or reporting because they use data. You know, mm -hmm. you've got, you know, if you got travel from Amsterdam to New York, um, there is data that says you shouldn't take more than so many euros. And then that becomes a budget and you free up the employee to stay anywhere to, you know, travel any way they want within that budget. And, you know, they save money, then you gain share. And that's got to be more effective, efficient, that we actually tested this and, and, and used it than any other system in the world because there is no back office. There is no 
procurement people negotiating you know so on and so forth. so you you actually come up against these examples which is like the equivalent of a tesla to a you know instead of a combustion engine and you say oh my god okay i gotta do something different right so it it, it was that right um but you never really de-risk these projects i mean by definition hmm. these belong to the third category of you know strategy that i was talking about if the first two categories are you know run your operations you know with absolutely close to flawless perfection then you do continuous improvement the third leg which is missing in most companies is disruptive innovation right um and so a large part of this is just putting things into context which is to you know go talk to business leaders and say you know what's the equivalent of that uh in you know procurement or you know invoicing or receivables or payroll um why you just you know relying on sap to come out with the next best answer hmm. and by the way if sap does come out with it then you have no competitive edge because the whole world is using exactly the same platform so mm-hmm. where's your disruptive innovation and so you quickly realize that you're going to have to use something different and then your entire approach is different this is this is my point earlier about the book um the discipline of execution um normal project management will never de-risk um any of those right because what they will do is they will assume that you know exactly how to get something done with all of these the the approach is venture capitalist portfolio management methodology which is you start with 10 ideas you find a way to kill nine of them very quickly but then the 10th is so big that it more than pays for all of the other things that you've killed and you do that constantly and quickly um mm. and so there is an entirely new methodology that helps you be, be risky right um and and that's the way to approach it and i think that was mentioned in here as well you're triggering me because i know there's there is a section that had um um yeah it's sort of a portfolio approach that that also gave some i think some some guidance on how to provide that discipline again yeah. i'm looking here in um you know because i marked it as well that they you know basically come up with your portfolio apply design thinking some 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 yes. agile iterations and then kill 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 your yes. darling so to speak yes um and i think that takes the man- that is the essence of the management discipline to yes. to look beyond the hobby the preference the belief and 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 have that rigor and 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 to 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 say no yes. to what maybe other people say yes to and and have a structure around that so yes. um um a couple more questions uh, well one more question and if you have any questions for me then uh, before we wrap up yeah sure but for yourself involved in all of these activities um you left you know your organization for most of your career 2 years ago how do you stay driven and 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 focused with so many opportunities coming across your plate every day and and before the call of course i shared my shiny object syndrome issue so i'm i'm curious <laughs> what is your mental model for doing what's most joyful or most valuable for you or or, or what is your the, the measure that you that you seek in your activities i um uh, you know I, i'll be a disappointment there i i don't know that i have a moral um okay i uh i have a belief that um you know it's always better to leverage your strengths than you know to try and 
uh, you know, try and, and work on your weaknesses. So, uh, and that's a paradigm I, I use for a lot of things. And by the way, including writing the book, I always wanted to write a book. And, and for many years, I thought I would write a fiction book. And it's like, why? You know, why would I ever want to do that? I mean, you know, it's my strengths and my background is all about, you know, corporate and IT and stuff like that. Mm. Why would I not write a book about that? Um, so that's that's a little bit of the the I, I, I guess the 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 focus that comes in, which is um, you know that's why I still work with you know mostly large companies. Although, like I said, I do work beyond as well, um, because again, you know that's that's my background, that's my strength. Um, for me, um, real joy comes in just with you know as we were saying, construction, engineering, problem solving, hands-on type of work, and you know you can do that. Uh, as as well in large company and, and corporate settings that you can in small companies, but you know I tend to drift to where my experience is. I can see that. I see that as well. It's uh, for me. I also really try to stay with 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 sort of a clarity of mind, um, and and so I can be open to what I guess intuitively I'm drawn to, and and, and try to balance that with expectations as well. Um, that just creates more space of creativity for me to solve those problems. That, that uh, it sounds like you and I are a bit similar that way. Is there any questions that have popped up in your mind as we're going? Because we're about to wrap up. Is there is there anything that you want to throw back or or challenge um, before we wrap up? I um, so I, I I have to mention we were talking this before we started recording that uh, um, uh, Chris, you're a fascinating person with with incredibly fascinating. Uh, you know, uh, a spectrum of interests. Um, but the uh, the question I had was, as you kind of look at the fourth industrial revolution and, and, and how, um, you know, every facet of business, industry, education, people, knowledge is changing. Yeah. Um, what do you do to, to try and disrupt yourself? What do I do personally to try to disrupt myself? Um, well, a lot of, I guess a lot of my personal disruption came from, from the decision to be unemployable, I guess, you know, to leave the corporate space in 2011. And that was when I was realizing our second child was on, on the way. Um, the company is a gr great and, and was a great company um, that really takes care of its people. Um, I had peaked, you know, at, at you know, as group CIO in, in, in the in the IT function. I, I was in corporate strategy uh, specifically um, from a conversation with the CEO at the time, who who was a bit of a mentor for me to try to to get me the credibility to become a country manager. And and when I came back, I said, well, actually, I need much bigger IT complex mess to clean up. You know, so so because country managers are great, but I'm not that. Um, and I can really peg it back to that Singularity University moment sitting in that, that Google car, which was, which was a Lotus Elan or a Prius or, or something. Um, uh, they, they hadn't built their own yet at that point. Mm. And I was like, okay, this, okay. I, and I had to make the choice. Am I going to stay in an executive role and effectively go intellectually to sleep because it's such a, successful company, you know, there, there, there is no burning platform there. Um, or am I going to disrupt myself? And, and, and that's what I decided to do. 
and you know, I had a discussion with my wife and said, I, if I stay here, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be the best me. I'm not going to be the best partner. I'm not going to be the best father. I need to change. And she said, go, okay, do it. Um, interestingly, uh, Christian Kniga, who is my, my friend, um, certainly now, and he, he, was, he was a friend, but not nearly as dear a friend at the time, he was one of the first people at the, at the lunch table after that and, and said, well, Chris, you've been want, you said you wanted to make a movie and here's a script. <laughs> you've got money in your pocket. You've got time on your hands. I was like, oh, man. So I just jumped into that. And, and um, what I realized is even though that is a completely different world, that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, talk about technology or corporate technology, digital or filmmaking, mm-hmm. it's actually a human endeavor. You know, these are getting a group of people together with clarity of focus, with, with understanding and alignment of, of roles and, and abilities, um, and, and creating that space for people to succeed. And for me, that was, that was a, a huge aha moment that actually I am very portable. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generalist and a connector. And that's what I, that's what I keep doing. And so the, I just pursue again, shiny object syndrome, but I've decided to own that and be that. And so right now um, I'm working on a conversational AI security company where we're tomorrow, (laughs) hopefully going to formalize that that thing is going to come into an existence. And that is, you know, from AI and that, that dimension of exponential technology from which I just continue to eat and learn from that open EXO community, bringing, you know, my background with, with data privacy and data security from, you know, working with those NSA whistleblowers that I shared with you before. I've also interviewed them on the podcast. So maybe listeners know what I'm talking about and then bringing that together into really a completely white space um, and, and thinking, okay, what do I already know as far as methods, rigor, discipline, um, what have I been burned on before? And, and then still being open to glorious failure as well. And then learning from that. So, so I think you know, that's, there's, how, there's something, that's how I'm challenging. There's something very freeing yeah. uh, about um, embracing, uh, as, as, as you said, um, uh, your many different passions. Um, because uh, real disruption, real innovation always comes from connecting different sources of knowledge in the industry and you know, things like that. And, and um, I, I think there is a big conflict um, in, in the world of business, certainly, uh, because I think the history of business has been one of, let's figure out how to do things, you know, in a streamlined way, you know, organized in silos. I mean, you know, this is, this is all the, you know, 60s trucker and management mm-hmm. philosophy and organizing models and stuff like that. Uh, and of course, I mean, uh, the world is intelligent enough to figure out that, you know, that real innovation disruption comes in the boundaries of areas. But, you know, I, I, I think the reward systems still don't, personal and otherwise, even societal reward systems, you know, don't recognize um, that, 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 that is really important. And the fact that, you know, you've decided to kind of take it on and, and again, credit to your friends and, and family and others, um, who also recognize that. Um, it's fascinating. Like I said, we'd love to continue the dialogue and, and learn more. But, uh, you know, again, kudos to you. 
Yeah, thank you. And, and as I shared before we started recording, I'll send you the links to the movies. And if anyone else is interested in seeing the three feature films that I've made with Christian, then, you know, let me know. Send me, send me an email or get me on, 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 uh, on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, no, it's, and this podcast is all about that as well. And, and, and I just call them conversations because I'm meeting amazing people that, that bring me new insights and challenges. And I don't agree with everyone. I think you and I happen to be you know, coming from a similar um, industry. So we're, we're speaking the same language. So it's, it's you know, that, that's a bit easier. Um, but sometimes I'm speaking to people that are, are doing things that I really have no experience on at all. At all. And, it's, and it's really fascinating. And sometimes they, the things that they do that make them succeed are counter to the best practices that I thought were sort of gospel. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, okay, wow, really? That works. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's beautiful. So, um, Tony, let's, you know, sadly we need to wrap up. Um, we've, we've gone over time, but this has been uh, um, joyous for me. And, and, and oh, likewise. do look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. And for those who are global business services uh, executives or, or, you know, you're also working with smaller organizations um, that are, that are really looking to understand um, yeah, this fourth industrial revolution and what that might mean, you can find Tony at LinkedIn at Sony, Tony Saldana. And um, I'll put the link to that in the show notes, as well as your own organization that you use to, to consult people called Transformant. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. So Tony, thank you so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Learn more at ebillion.com slash podcast.